The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. Let's get right over to Ed Baxter, who is looking at the president's upcoming trip to Israel and all the rest of the news from San Francisco. Ed. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Uh, Israel's military says it did not strike a hospital in Gaza. It says Islamic Jihad militants hit with rockets. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says it was terrorist. He says definitely not the IDF. Reports earlier have said at least 500 people died in the attack. Meanwhile, while on the humanitarian front, trucks carrying aid from Egypt were unable to cross into Gaza today. More from Bloomberg's Oliver Crook in Tel Aviv. Literally hundreds of tons of aid that are just sitting there waiting to get through. We've heard from the Egyptians. We've heard from the Israelis. The Israelis have said that they want to create the conditions under which this aid can finally move through, but they said it's going to take time. Their main concern is that this aid gets taken and commandeered by Hamas. And this, of course, with a backdrop of the pending Israeli ground invasion. Bloomberg's Nick Wadhams reports Israeli forces continue to pound targets there, an exception of the invasion. Bloomberg national security correspondent Nick Wadhams reports no word from Israel. Uh, Something that uh, they're not putting a timetable on. Uh, They're not going to give a sense for when it might happen, but that it could happen at any time. I mean, one thing that is important to say that we think is at least a reasonable expectation is that it would not start with President Biden in the region. And Nick says the U.S. is putting 2,000 troops on high alert and extending the deployment of a carrier group in the eastern Mediterranean. And President Biden is due to board Air Force One this evening for an arrival in Israel tomorrow morning local time. Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons says certainly a show of unity, but... There is also the concern of the fate of the hostages, a number of which held by Hamas are expected to be Americans, and the president would like to see every effort made to retrieve them uh, and and, uh, rescue them alive. And the president scheduled to meet with leaders of Egypt and Jordan. But now Jordan is announcing the summit with Arab leaders has been canceled. And then the White House came out saying that President Biden says he canceled that leg of the trip. NSC's John Kirby says regarding the aid. It's really on the humanitarian front. And uh, he'll be hitting that not only hard while he's in Israel, but when he goes to Amman, Jordan, and speaks to President Sisi of Egypt, President Abbas of the Palestinian Authority, uh, and of course, uh, King Abdullah, all focused on making sure that humanitarian assistance can flow in. So again, the Biden trip to Israel still on uh, to the Arab leader meeting apparently has been canceled. Jim Jordan, not the House Speaker. He got blatantly rebuffed today in the first round of voting. There'll be no votes tonight. Bloomberg's Jonathan Tamari says it did not go well at all. Meeting up to today, the word from Jordan supporters as well, it'll be like eight to ten people who oppose him. Well, we're looking at double that. And and he's in a worse position than Kevin McCarthy was in January uh, when Kevin McCarthy took 15 rounds to become the speaker. And he was really 
the consensus candidate. And Bloomberg's Wendy Benjamin says the question now is how long can this go on? Will the House be willing to keep doing this? Right. <laughs> I mean, there is the White House has sent a $100 billion aid request for Israel over to the House. The Senate says, sure, we're going to take it up because we're a functioning chamber of Congress. And the House can't do anything. <laughs> um, the Democrats may offer Patrick McHenry, the acting speaker, more powers, but there's no sense on the Republican side that they're willing to do that. Now, part of the problem for members of the House is Jordan's loyalty to Donald Trump and uh, in the past not acknowledging that Trump lost the election. Well, ABC's Rachel Scott caught up with Jordan earlier today. Ben Buck said it's important for the Republican Speaker of the House to acknowledge that Donald Trump lost the election. Do you acknowledge that? The sounds of silence. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter. This is Bloomberg. All right, Brian. Yes, in Hong Kong, I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. Our colleague, Vonnie Quinn, will join a little bit later this hour. And we have more coverage here. The White House is eyeing a sizable package to help support Israel and others in the wake of the Hamas attacks. Bloomberg's Erica Herskowitz has more. President Biden is reportedly considering a supplemental request of approximately $100 billion that would include defense assistance for Israel and Ukraine alongside border security funding and aid to nations in the Indo-Pacific, including Taiwan. The comprehensive package seeks to leverage broad bipartisan support for Israel in the wake of the Hamas attacks to help ease passage of aid for Ukraine, which has struggled to earn the favor of House Republicans. The inclusion of border security funding may also help garner support from Republicans who have long linked additional foreign assistance to addressing an influx of migrants in the U.S. Erica Herskowitz, Bloomberg Radio. Well, the U.S. is restricting the sales of computer chips made by NVIDIA, specifically designed for the Chinese market. This is part of a sweeping new update to export curbs designed to block China's access to highly advanced semiconductor technology. Here's Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow. In the NVIDIA context, remember how important China is. In the last earnings call, NVIDIA stated that in the data center context, China was 20 to 25 percent of sales within the historical range. NVIDIA has issued us a statement saying that it, it complies with any uh, regulation or export requirements. But here's the key point. We don't expect a near-term meaningful impact on our financial results. That is Bloomberg Zed Ludlow. By the way, these tighter controls are targeting NVIDIA. NVIDIA's A800 and H800 semiconductors. NVIDIA created these chips for export to China after the Biden administration introduced its initial restrictions. That was last October. Brian? And NVIDIA took quite a hit in the market today, down 4.7%. Some of the other chip makers hit pretty hard as well. Well, traders at Bank of America had their best third quarter in at least a decade, and net interest income came in better than expected. We heard from Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. He says growth in the bank's consumer checking business has been integral. We do really well with young Americans, and so we keep adding that account growth of 900,000 for the last four quarters, a million in the four quarters before that. Those numbers are net growing to 37 million Americans. Customer satisfaction, high employee satisfaction, that area, and it all works, and it produces $980 billion of deposits in consumer. Brian Moynihan there. Uh, Bank of America's shares were up 2.3% in New York. We go to Goldman Sachs next. The firm reported trading revenue for the third quarter above expectations. Even so, Goldman saw a second straight quarter of losses in its real estate assets. And in the end, these facts dragged Goldman's profit lower. Here's Bloomberg's Allison Williams. 
I think the pressure from investors is really more on the cost side and how they can meet their overall cost goals. I think the consumer business, as you said, it, it's a lot of headlines because it's very unlike yeah. Goldman, well you know, yes. and uh, it was it was sort of a little bit of a head scratcher when they went into the business. It was it was almost like a negative foreshadowing for the rest of their business that they would do that. But I would say that investors never owned Goldman Sachs to own that. And I think investors are probably happy that they're focusing on their, you know, they're focusing on their core and their core. I mean, the, the trading results, very good, right. but investors likely anticipated that. That is Bloomberg's Allison Williams. By the way, Goldman shares finished down 1.6% in regular trading. We'll hear from Morgan Stanley tomorrow before the opening bell. Brian? And crossing to this part of the world, Doug, China's latest economic data due out today are expected to show an economy that is sputtering. Bloomberg's Joanne Wong has the story from Hong Kong. The data will likely show GDP expanded 4.5% year-on-year in the third quarter. That's below the government's annual target and will likely stoke calls for more stimulus. It's not that past stimulus hasn't worked, as some measures are expected to show progress. September's industrial output may rise 4.4%, almost in line with August. Retail sales likely accelerated to 4.9%. But will it continue? Some economists have been raising their forecasts in recent weeks. They anticipate China will come close to hitting its overall growth target for 2023 of around 5%. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Radio. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Vonnie Quinn. Our guest is Henrietta Trey's Managing Partner and Director of Economic Policy at Veda Partners. Henrietta, I wanted to start off with kind of a, a broader question here um, and looking at the House speakership uh, disaster, I suppose you could call it today. Um, how effective can U.S. diplomacy be when you have the body politic in the United States so fractured uh, that any promises from any U.S. politicians, even the president, may seem unenforceable? That's a great question. Um, it's funny. Ken Buck, one of the Republicans who voted against uh, the Speaker McCarthy originally and voted for his ouster and then voted against Jim Jordan here, he had an incredible quote right off the floor after the Jordan vote. He said, no one's watching us. This doesn't matter. No one cares is effectively what he was implying. And that sounds like a great answer to your question, that the members themselves don't think they're important. But what he went on to say is there's no urgency. Um, We don't have a supplemental yet from the White House on Israel aid. The government doesn't shut down until November 17th. The Republican Party does not have an agenda or an urgent ask that they need to accomplish. And so effectively, he's saying we have time. Um, hmm. I, I agree that the ability to have diplomacy while the one wing of the Congress is pure chaos is hard to fathom. But, um, 
you know, the, the, the real answer functionally is they just don't need to find a speaker yet. And I think it could be another one to two weeks before they do. And ultimately, I think they will probably fail. And so the off-ramp is to just give more authority to the speaker pro tempore, uh, Patrick McHenry, a Republican from North Carolina, on only the absolutely urgent must-pass legislation like aid to Israel. And so how long would that last then, Henrietta? And what would the legislation look like? That's a great question uh, as well. Um, So there are thoughts about making any expanded powers of the Speaker pro tempore temporary. Uh, November 17th is the deadline that's most frequently discussed because that's when the government shutdown happens. And so by extension, they're effectively saying all we'll vote on is bills to keep the government open and an emergency aid package to Israel, Ukraine, the U.S.-Mexico border, and um, Asian nations, including Taiwan. And what we have in the crisis with Israel is a very helpful dynamic on Capitol Hill in that it can keep the government open because I suspect they will all get lumped into one big bill and that Speaker Pro Tempore will be in a position of expanded power for as long as that takes to cross uh, to, to, to pass. So as we see Republicans sputtering to a degree here, what's the smart play by Democrats? I, you know, this is kind of the example of you, know, you give somebody the longest rope they want to hang themselves with. The <laughs> Democrats are, you know, marching in lopstep behind Jeffries. There's been no wavering. He gets 212 votes every single time. Um, and I think it's very interesting and telling that the narrative Republicans are trying to spin, most specifically Kevin McCarthy today, is that somehow this is Democrats' fault. And from the polling we can see and the way that the American public is responding, that's not something that's resonating with the American voter. So I think Democrats are just um, letting this play out. They are hoping for an alternate solution that is the speaker pro tempore being expanded. Uh, But they're just sort of holding the line and watching the, the flames. Henrietta, if I could shift gear just a little bit. We saw the cavalcade, the president's cavalcade, leave a short time ago. What will President Biden want to achieve in the Middle East, particularly now that the quartet summit in Amman has been cancelled? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think de-escalation, things are uh, you know rapidly moving in Israel. I think he wants to signal plain and um, unwavering support. I think that is part of who Biden is sort of to his core, let alone as just a representative of America. Um, so to go over there during wartime is, I think, a pretty um, powerful message to say, we're on your side, but also do not escalate. And I think him physically being there is a powerful way for him to get that message across. Um, obviously, the cancellation of various meetings is something that will make the optics of this even worse. And I think as time goes on, opposition to Israel and to Hamas and potentially Iran and Lebanon is only going to grow as sort of the dust settles and people feel more comfortable getting angry about what they're seeing. And that's that's the phase that we're going to enter into next. So one key question is, can President Biden be kept safe there? And of course, the intelligence community would say, uh, yes, he can be. And this is what we do. But then if you look at the failures so far from the original attacks that Hamas made to even an incident like we saw at the hospital, where we still don't know whether this was an incoming missile or the failure of a, of a missile trying to be launched from there by the Palestinian side, uh, how confident can we be that President Biden will be safe? 
That's it's so fascinating to watch the optics of this play out. You know, ordinarily, you would have a president just show up in the dark of night. You know, the way we saw, you know, in my my thinking is Bush uh, in Iraq uh, in mm. the past. You'd have a president yeah. just magically appear in the middle of yeah, the no night. Yeah, no announcement um, beforehand. Yeah, right. Right. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, an obviously dangerous situation. And again, um, especially with the layer of the two aircraft carriers being over there, more support going in. They're trying to um, neutralize any impending escalation. Uh, The fact that the ground offensive has not formally been launched. I mean, obviously, it's not great uh, to say the very least. But the, the fact that there is some hold up from the original 24 hour expectation a few days back. I think is indicative of um, Secretary of State Blinken's efforts to sort of contain the situation. And Biden physically going over there makes it a high alert situation. You know, so everybody will potentially and hopefully be on their best behavior. It would yep. seem, in fact, Brian, that, you know, some of the optics would be, you know, for everybody knowing that the president is going, that that's, that, that, that was done mm. on purpose this time around. Well, we hope he will be safe, and we have to say to Henrietta Trez, thanks so much for joining us. We always love having you on the on the show. Thank you. Henrietta Trez, Managing Partner, Director of Economic Policy at Veda Partners. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York. Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.